everyone. Quick announcement before we start this week's episode. We are now on iTunes under Made for Love. So I'll still post the episodes to USCCB Clips as well. But if you want to start my writing your way over to Made for Love, that would be great. If you could leave a review there, that would be awesome too. And this should make it easier for y'all to tell other people. Thanks. People always say that when you have children, that your life changes, but they always forget to say that your life changes for the better. My life is an amusement park. (laughs) This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today's episode is about big Catholic families. Of course, people might quibble over what counts as big today. But I don't think that anyone will disagree about today's interviewees who have 8, 10, and 13 plus 1 foster children, respectively. In Humani Vitae, Pope St. Paul VI wrote, quote, Responsible parenthood is exercised by those who prudently and generously decide to have more children, and by those who, for various reasons, and with due respect to moral precepts, decide not to have additional children for either a certain or an indefinite period of time. That's number 10. Often we focus only on that last part. We talk about natural family planning, for example. But what about the first part? That's today. I'm Vivian. And I'm Drew. And we've been married 15 years, or is it 16 years this year? Yeah, 16 this year. And we have seven kids with one on the way. Drew and Vivian are my friends from grad school. Drew was very proud of catching Vivian in college because they were both studying engineering. All classes weren't this way, but I I just remember one physics class, and there were 70 students in there, and it was all males except for Vivian. I was thinking, boy, I've got a lot of competition. (laughs) But I got her, though. So. (laughs) Neither Drew nor Vivian grew up in a large family. I'm an only child. There's five children in my family. And, of course, family size came up while they were dating. I think Vivian was a little surprised when I I was saying that I, you know, want a lot of kids because she wasn't used to having siblings. But I think, though, that you said that you always wished that you had siblings when you were growing up. Yeah, I I think it would have been nice. She was like, we should have at least five. And I was like, uh, well, you know, they'll come one at a time, and then we'll, once we maybe hit that number, we'll see what happens. And steadily, one by one, and... No twins yet, so, you know, we're just seeing what what comes our way. After three, both extended families started murmuring. They slowly got used to it. And I don't think that we ever felt that we had a right to children. If God didn't want to send us any, we were okay with that. And if he wanted to send us a whole bunch, we were okay with that, too. It was mostly just being open to what he wanted. Drew and Vivian's temperaments are suited to having a large family. She is very calm, and people think that I'm calm when they talk to me, but I'm actually I'm, I'm usually anxious about a lot of things. And I think that that's something that's really important when people think about getting married is you have to think, are our temperaments well-matched? Vivian's parents split up when she was young, so she didn't have a model of how this whole family life thing was going to work out. She observed a lot and tried different things. Our oldest two were real guinea pigs and, like, learning how you deal with children. I remember one of the big families we know, um, when she was talking to her son, she would say things like, 
please go get that for me. And then he wouldn't say anything, and she would give him a verbal cue, like you're supposed to say, yes, mama. And I was like, so that's how people do it. Vivian realized just how much had to be taught and modeled by parents. Really, a lot of it has been being able to be invited to friends' homes to see how it's done just by watching their example on, like, how they treat their younger children. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess I messed that one up. You know, so three, four, five, the ones down the the way, I'm like, okay, we're going to try it this way. Vivian didn't read any parenting books or listen to any gurus. She just wanted to be natural and not overthink it. She likes having peers to talk to. You know, there's so much knowledge that we could share between each other without really saying, hey, look, I'm going to sit down and give you this advice. Being around each other, you're not only a support, but you're also, like, advising each other. And so thinking back over the years, I've really appreciated other families that open their home to us and invite us over. The kids learn from each other, and then the parents learn from each other. It's really invaluable. One of the things that really helped me was seeing how other dads are are very patient with their children, because I was raised as a military brat. I was also in the military myself. And so you tend to be very used to people shouting or sometimes that's just how people communicate, you know. But, you know, I've learned the importance of trying not to raise your voice with children and trying to be more calm in in your discipline. That doesn't mean that you don't ever raise your voice, but I think that you can raise children well without shouting. He finds being a father to a big family challenging financially. In order to maintain a job, you oftentimes, especially if you're a white-collar employee and you're trying to provide for a family on one salary, you oftentimes find yourself having to relocate a lot just for work. There aren't the societal structures, like affordable housing, to help parents provide for a big family. Don't worry, because God always sends a kid with a lunchbox. You're thinking in the back of your mind, does he always do that? In our case, we have always wondered how things have worked out for us. It just seems like When you trust the Lord, the Lord provides. And when you learn to live that way, when you're loving God and you're taking care of his business and we're raising the children and trying to do the things that he wants us to do, which is our vocation, uh, raising a family, he kind of takes care of business for us. When I come through the door, it's like our children, they're they're so joyful and they're so happy to see me and it's all worth it. It's just totally worth it. So let's get down to some practicalities. How do the kids react when they find out that there will be a new addition? Just a resounding, wow, this is so exciting. Even this last time, the older kids kept saying, when are you going to have another baby? When are you going to have another baby? You know, expectantly pleased. And then when we finally did announce one, they were like, oh, that's so great. I knew it. I knew it was going to happen sometime. And So much happiness that it kind of makes you wonder, like, yeah, why didn't we, you know, hurry up and have another one? They just make it seem as if nothing is bad as long as we're having another one. (laughs) How do they keep the house clean and working smoothly? We have a chore system that I actually lifted off another family, a large family. We do a daily rotation of chores since there's six of them that could actually do chores on a regular basis. And the youngest one, you know, his load is the lightest since he's only four. So we picked out the main big chores that we need done every day, like loading the dishwasher, clearing the table, sweeping the floor, 
and we bunched some of the littler jobs with those as well. So those are the five main points, and then I have magnets with their names on them, and then every day we switch to a different station, so to speak, that helps to train up the younger ones to do more of the difficult chores, even if they need help, you know, at least they're getting trained up and like what's expected of them. How are the kids celebrated as individuals? They really enjoy our little celebrations for their name days or their consecration days. Their birthday is like a super duper looked forward to day because they get the day off from school and no chores. Total relaxing. I mean, there's nowhere else really that that would happen. We really like celebrating Saints Days. And I, I remember talking with a priest one time, and, and I was telling him that, oh, yeah, we, we celebrate. Each kid has, like, three days a year that, that are kind of like their own, like, birthday and also, like, their Saints Day and then also Marian Consecration Day. When you count us all up, and then that's 20, you know, 20 or 30 days. Every week there's something going on, and just a very active and lively household. And, of course, the kids always have each other. They make a lot of memories together, and you make a lot of memories with them. And it's, it's just a wonderful, joyful environment. Things are so alive. Everywhere there just seems to be so much activity and joy all the time. And also a lot of screaming and, <laughs> and crying. But when you think about it, our home is actually a very, very joyful and, and wonderful place. And that's not only now, while they're young and live in the same house. It's for life. When you have each other, you have that kind of support network. Well, when you have siblings, you have that, and you grow up together, and it makes things easier. It makes things more joyful. And there's an interesting paradox about big families. There's always room for other people at the table. Vivian actually likes to invite people over because it encourages everybody to clean house and pick up. Usually on Sunday afternoons, we'll invite people over, people that we know from our parish and people that we know from other parishes, young couples, and then uh, even you know people from work. You know, I really feel like that's kind of what we have to offer the church the world is that we can just open up our home and show other people what our family is like. And so we've tried to invite young couples just to let them see because sometimes people, they only see from the outside and so they make a lot of uh, judgments which uh, might not necessarily be true. Our next big family witness is Sam Fatsinger. Sam is a friend of a friend, and she's the chatty half of the couple. I tend to talk and talk it up. So we spared her husband from being on the interview. Hi, my name is Sam Lancaster Fatsinger. I am married to my high school sweetheart, Rob. We have 13 children with our last name and a bonus baby who we've had as a foster child for over two years. We got him right out of the hospital, and we consider him ours. The Fatsingers are famous in the D.C. area because of their financial savvy. All of their kids go to college and leave without any debt. The Washington Post did an article about them. I'll put it on the show notes. Sam and Rob started dating when she was in high school. He was in college. So my kids are like, what was Graham thinking letting you date this guy who's in college? I was like, I was the ninth child and the fifth daughter. They wanted to get rid of me as soon as they could. Sam always wanted a big family. The joke is we were on Sugarloaf Mountain, and he asked me to marry him, and I think I was just as surprised as he was because 
he didn't have a ring. He didn't have anything. He hadn't talked to my dad. He just kind of looked at me and said, will you marry me? And I was like, are you kidding me? And he must have been shocked that I was looking at him quizzically <laughs> and said, hey, who else is going to give you 10 kids, a dog, and a white ticket fence? And I was like, hey, you know, he's kind of right. I'm not going to find many guys who want to have lots of children. And I was like, kill the dog and give me 11 kids, and I'll say yes. And he kind of laughed and was like, okay. And then when we had our 11th child, there was actually a big article in our local town little newspaper <laughs> that the Fetzingers finally have their 11th child. So they succeeded in what they had started out with. Sam was super open about her desire for children. I always, always wanted to have a big family, and so everybody knew that. His family knew that about me, so it wasn't so much a shock. Every once in a while, maybe every five years, we'll watch the wedding video, and the point where the priest says, and are, would you be open to children, half the congregation's all laughing and snickering, because apparently I had made known the fact that I wanted lots of children. She worked at a daycare center, and all of the ladies there kind of chuckled at her, probably assuming that once she actually had kids, she'd change her mind. Yeah, sure you do. And then every year I'd see them, and they're like, oh, my gosh, you're pregnant again? And <laughs> kind of laugh. I'm like, well, Sam, you're living your dream. Rob was not from a big family, and he's also an introvert. When I have our family Christmas party at our house, it's usually between 65 and 75 people. And he puts a note on the front door, party from 1 to 115, <laughs> and then usually about after an hour or two, he'll find an excuse to go in the room and watch a football game because it's on a Sunday during Advent. So he'll kind of sneak away and have some quiet time. Sam recognizes that her natural strong drive toward being a mom was possibly neglecting something else. When I was in second grade, all I wanted to be when I grew up was a mommy. I never, ever mentioned anything about being a wife. <laughs> and being a wife is tough. She emphasizes the sacramentality of marriage. The grace that you get from that sacrament is the only reason that we have survived because marriage is hard and raising children is just an added stress to that. And I always try to remember and to try to tell people who are either engaged or mar married that marriage is a sacrament. Parenting isn't. And a marriage goes through so many stages. My husband and I say all the time, I love you, but this is hard. And even after being married for almost 30 years, it's still hard. And it's almost <laughs> it's almost getting harder instead of easier because I'm only 50, but I'm like, I can't hear him or he can't hear me. And there's always like this miscommunication because I'm like, didn't you hear me say that I was going to the grocery store? And he's like, no, didn't you hear me say come to the office for a minute. So now we have this extra level of stress with those silly old people problems. Parenting and homeschooling a large family takes a certain mentality. My greatest weapon besides getting to daily mass every day is just being flexible and being easygoing and being able to roll with the punches. And I do mean punches. That has been my best tool. So half the time, I don't even know what day it is. And I'm like, okay, if I got my teeth brushed before lunch, it is a good day. And, of course, you need some sort of system. I have an industrial-sized chore chart because I forget. 
okay, whose job is it to do dishes and whose job is it to do laundry today and who has empty dishwasher and who has vacuum this room. So it's more of a huge cheat sheet for me. Where did she learn how to be a mom? My mom was probably the best homemaker ever, and my mom could make June Cleaver blush. I'm very grateful that I had that as an example. I did not get any of her talents at all. I am a horrible housekeeper and not a very good cook. And being the youngest and being the fifth daughter, I really didn't learn as much as my sisters did. But God did place me in a group of women who were the most amazing mentors. In my neighborhood, we had a prayer group of women probably about five of them, and a lot of them had just had their fifth child, and I was having my first. I found my home with these women who are some of, still to this day, some of the most amazing women I ever have known, and they just kind of took me under their wing and were there with questions about, you know, nursing and cooking and cleaning and how to decide if your kid has a fever and good ways to do your laundry and definitely spiritually. They were there teaching me their family traditions, things they did on feast days. And I look back on them and I'm just so grateful. There's this whole little Catholic enclave in Bowie, Maryland, where families support each other really well. And it's so important for moms, especially stay-at-home moms who sometimes suffer from lacking adult conversation. I think it's really important for women to look for that. And even if you're an introvert or not in a parish like I am in, start something or find something, and that's going to help you survive. Even if you don't think you need it, uh, you really do. Big families always have lots of conflicting personalities and lots of different needs. I don't really have children who walk around and love each other and want to play with each other all day. But I do have children who leave the house and grow up and are amazing and can get along with different people and different personalities and different temperaments because they had to deal with life skills. My older kids, even some of my college kids who live at home, have to learn how to, you know, find that space and find that time and how to study and how to get your school done with kids running around screaming and today, let's see, Halloween candy getting stolen and <laughs> eaten and little kids hiding candy that they weren't supposed to be eating and Play-Doh flying. Sam thinks this is actually a service to her kids because when they grow up, if they have children of their own, nothing is going to come as a shock. They're going to grow up and they're going to have children who misbehave. At least they grow up knowing that, oh yeah, he's acting just like my brother used to act when my mom would take the candy away. Or this is the day after Halloween. Of course, the six-year-old's going to be running circles around and screaming and crying and (laughs) have puppy eyes because he couldn't sleep last night. Likewise, Sam thinks her kids will have realistic expectations going into marriage. My children will make wonderful future spouses or future religious because they were brought up in a family with a very normal mom and a very normal dad who yells and screams and makes mistakes and says things that we regret and has to apologize to them and 
not the best cook in the world and not the best homemaker, so that when they get married, my sons will never look at their wife and be like, oh, you do not cook as well as my mom did, or you do not keep house as clean as my mom did. They're just going to have a really good balance, and they're going to tell their husbands or wives, whatever, they're going to be like, I am so grateful for you because you are so wonderful. And there's always a seat open at the Fat Singer table. The Thanksgiving joke is everybody has to find one person, whether it's a staff member or a college classmate or someone who lives in your town. You just have to ask one extra person to Thanksgiving dinner, you know, whether they have plans or not, just letting them know that if you need a place to come, you're welcome to come here. The food might not be great, but there's always plenty of it, and the conversation might not be quiet, but there's always lots of fun. Does anything phase this woman? The Internet and the cell phones and the social media that we didn't have to deal with with our older kids, it's just so scary. And the pornography that's out there, and, you know, I'm just – I practically in tears at the thought of having nine sons that are going to have to and daughters. Sam's advice to families today is slow down and stop trying to sign up for everything and every do everything. It costs too much money. It takes time away. Just enjoy being home. Enjoy your family. Stop running all over the town. We're stressing our families out. We're stressing kids out. Slowing down and enjoy. Let your kids go outside and play in the woods. Like, you don't have to take them to every circus and every carnival and every amusement park in town. I mean, make those things special. Lastly, we're going to hear from the Hadleys. Cecilia Hadley and I have been friends for many years, and she is the third of ten. I volunteered her that I would interview her family, and her parents agreed and recruited one of the younger children, Tim, to join. We met at Jerry and Kate's new condo this summer. Jerry had to come outside to let us in, and there was a World Cup match on TV. Uh, Alex came over to watch the soccer game with Greg, <laughs> and of course it's going into overtime. Oh, it is? Yes. Can we go watch it? Do you want you to go into extra time? I mean, that's always exciting. Sarah's just is it one one still? The World Cup. It's still one one, yeah. After the shootout, we rearranged the furniture and I turned my recorder back on. Jerry and Kate met at a wedding and were introduced by a mutual friend. And Jerry, what did you first notice about Kate? Uh, well, when... We How well I played volleyball. Uh, not that. Uh, <laughs> when, we, when we had our first date, we went to the mall. The Washington uh, Mall. The Washington Mall. Uh, I had a picnic on the mall. I was very nervous because I had brought along wine and a police officer on horse approached us. And I thought probably this is not very, not legal probably, but he went by. And then a little rain started and she took off her glasses and she battered her eyes purposefully, she said later. And that's the first thing I noticed about her. What beautiful eyes she had. That's all true. (laughs) Why are you laughing? When they married, they wanted to be open to God's will and generous. Kate says she never thought that God would take her up on it the way that he did. But she's grateful. I was always really glad that we didn't have to decide when the best time to have a child was. We were open to life. God um, sent us two different miscarriages at different times, which served to 
really make me appreciate when I would get pregnant. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm not in charge of this. Neither of us knew what we were getting into. That's fair to say. I guess my thought was just to try to be as generous as we could. It seems that God is beneficent in his creation. Life is better than no life. And it just seemed that to kind of participate in that generosity, that sort of overflowing love that he has, to me was a guiding light, a guiding principle. So in the Hadley family, are the kids valued as individuals? I think that we appreciated each of them for being their own unique person and different. And we tried to let them all choose their different activities, even though we limited the total number. Everybody had different interests and that kind of thing. I was thinking I remember remember moments like dad's running an errand and he would say, you know, Celia, you want to come along with me? I didn't always feel like I was only with you in big groups. There were times when... I I wish I could have done more of that. Would have been more aware of trying to do that with more of the kids. Is kind of have more one-on-one time. I remember never being compared to a sibling. Really? Because um, you, weren't you kind of grouped with the younger boys? I was grouped as as the three little boys as like you guys are going to be doing this. You guys are gonna be wearing this. But but I don't cute to resist. But comparisons like Peter did this, and why aren't you more like your brother Peter? Yeah, not even not even like that accusatory. Just in general, like Peter had different interests than I did, and I was very much a Latin. Megan has a very strong personality, and I had a very different personality than Megan's, and so I could do my own thing. I was very, I was allowed to be very independent. I was allowed to kind of go after my own interests. In fact, Kate said it would have been easier if more of them had been interested in the same things. Always wonderful that none of you ever wanted to be on swim team. Because that allowed the summer to have no sports. That was the one thing that was good. <laughs> Although swim team is a wonderful thing, and it gets kids up early, and I appreciate a lot about it, but I love that we had one season with no sports. One of the things the Hadley family enjoyed was the grocery store. Going to the grocery store as a unit. That was fun. You know, we would go in a pack to the local grocery store, which happens to be one connected with uh, old age. Uh, retirement community. Retirement community, thank you. So I always had to tell the kids not to knock over the little old ladies, but I would kind of send them out to get various things, cereal, milk, whatever. It just it was an activity, a lot of fun. And then if everybody was kind of decent or good, we might get Best. something at the end, a little treat. But it was super fun. I remember going grocery shopping with Dad was an adventure. Like, you pickles, and you'd have to kind of run off and yeah, find where the pickles I, were. And I remember from the pressure of trying to remember where things were. And I remember grabbing a butter when a little lady was grabbing a butter, and I grabbed it. It was the last one, and I grabbed it, and I was like, I gotta get back. <laughs> <laughs> and then you run down the aisles, and you're basically running, keeping looking down each aisle, trying to find where dad is again. Right, exactly. Run up, drop the butter off. What else you need? Yeah, there was like an element of almost like going into combat or something like that. Like he was the commanding officer, and we were the we were the soldiers, like, going out completing these missions. He made it really fun. And the kids loved getting together with other big families. I always really enjoyed any time that we got together with another big family because there was some kind of special fun with these, like, massive groups of kids. With a couple older kids to 
organize us into some kind of game. We had a series of talent shows, a variety shows, every summer with all of our family friends. And popcorn and lemonade was the kind of the preferred method of sustenance because yeah. uh, it was all outside and just the kids could get up and do whatever they wanted. So it was just kind of a celebration of family life and what it is to have have uh, children and, and friends like yourself. Do you remember the talent shows? Oh, of course I remember the talent shows. Um, so it was just kind of chaotic scene. Picture a chaotic scene in the backyard of our, of our house, which has pretty much no grass because of all the sports played on it over the years. And um, maybe like 300 children under the age of 12 running around and popcorns strewn about the ground. Um, One bed sheet being held up. A bed sheet on a on a rope as a nice a curtain exactly stage yeah, backdrop, backdrop, backdrop a backdrop um, to give a little glamour to the um, stage and acts of very dubious talent being performed. Fun is so important to family life, y'all. And Kate received important advice about it when our youngest was about three or four. Or so I happened to be at a party and talking to a woman I met. And it turned out she was a little bit older than me, but she was she herself was the youngest of 15. And so we spent four hours talking about what it was like to be at the end of a family. I'm the oldest of six. I'm the mother of 10. I'm always at the top. And she told me at first, she said, I'm going to write a book because I just loved my large family and it was wonderful and da-da-da-da-da. But... I always felt like I came in when the party was half over. So I'm going to call the party, the book, The Party's Half Over. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. What do you mean? And so she went over what it meant to be at the end. When she was about 10, everybody started getting married and leaving and all that. And so at the end of the evening, she took my arm and she said, I'm begging you, please keep the party going. And you know, I went home, I told Jerry, and it really hit because she was right. We were at a point where like, another soccer game? Another Halloween costume. Just each little thing, you're like, really? Again? We've done this before. And of course, the oldest at this point is in college doing very exciting things. And you're like, oh, you're much more interested in that. But you had to keep the party going for the younger ones. And that has become our mantra. We even have it in calligraphy on our wall because it changed a lot. Keep the party going. Don't let your own tiredness lead you to neglect having fun with your younger children. No, but you kept going sled riding. Yeah. You know, you kept taking them on activities and going to their games. And, and plan, plan summer trips. Plan summer trips, plan summer activities, field yeah. trips. I was kind of the queen of field trips in yeah, the summer. Yeah. That was my thing. Like club. Yeah, we'd try and have little clubs for the kids because, you know, we didn't have a lot of money to do a lot of other camps, so we kind of created our own. Even though, like, when you're on the field trip, it's an act of faith that this is really a good thing because <laughs> they're usually saying, I'm hot and, you know, I want something to eat, that kind of thing. The Hadleys would have periodic family meetings. We would say, we have to have a family meeting. And they said, it's either a new job chart or a new baby. <laughs> <laughs> My mom was constantly inventing new systems for our, our chores. Yes. 
um, so that was always like a big event, like the unveiling of the new system. You didn't know what you were going to get. For the distribution of our workload. <laughs> She's a big one for systems. <laughs> but when I would say, well, it's a new baby, I would think that, oh, maybe they're going to think the pie is being divided into smaller pieces. And nobody ever did. Everybody was always so happy to have another baby coming. Kate felt pressure to keep on top of things like chores and outfits. If you have that many children, you have to have chores. You have to have order in the house. You make a real effort to dress them well so that they don't all look like, you know, scum. And people judge large families. <laughs> so you make a real effort to make that they dress well, even on Sundays at church, which they would always fight. Kate also made sure that every kid had certain things that were their own. A dresser, at least a couple of drawers to themselves, and a desk with some space and a bookshelf, you know, and then we had bunk beds. So those became like little caves, yeah, fortresses. fortresses, nests, you know. So I tried to have each one have their own um, space. space, even though they were sharing rooms, sometimes three in a room. Um, I did give thought to who was sharing which room, kind of paired them up with ones that went temperamentally better. And sometimes she'd have to remind herself of the different stages that the kids were in. I kept finding myself um, yelling at the teenager and reasoning with the two-year-old. I'm going, oh, wait a minute. No, no, it's the other way around. I'm supposed to reason with the older one and yell at the little one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the financial side. Here are the kids' perspectives on that. There wasn't a lot of stuff. And so when I graduated from college, the thought of like accumulating more stuff never really appealed to me or occurred to me. And it does mean that the stuff that I do own is very important to me because I was only, not allowed, but I only had a few possessions that were mine. And so now those few possessions, those are important to me. I have the things that are truly important to me and it really forces you to focus on what is important. And I feel like, I, I have to put it on the record, I never felt deprived. I mean, you weren't making us aware of your financial struggles. I'm sure that even that, like the work that you had to put into that, I don't know, it just didn't even occur to me. I, mean, like, I kind of was aware that I didn't have certain things that other people had. But I didn't even think of, I mean, like I, I knew that other families had cable and we didn't have cable, but I didn't think about it, didn't care well, that if, much. If I may, when other families had cable and you went over there, was your thought like, hey, let's play a game because you were used to playing games. You were used to, you You were the one, maybe maybe you weren't, I was the one to encourage people like, hey, let's go outside, let's play baseball because I was used to playing baseball with Greg and Alex and all that. Right, right. I, I, didn't, I, I never really thought about it in terms of like, oh, we're poor, so we don't have it. It was more just like, I think I was aware that like we had different priorities over the years, Jerry would take on some extra odd jobs to supplement the family income. And one of them got all of the children involved. So it was 1994. Uh, I decided that the best way for me to earn a little extra money and not intrude too much on the family life was to get a paper route. And so I did. And uh, we did about 300 papers every morning. Come rain, snow, whatever, holidays. And so it was a drag in that sense. But um, each morning, one of the children would be enlisted to sit in the back and, and bag the papers and throw them up to me so I could then distribute them out the windows of the van. It was all done on a route. 
And um, what time of day was this? Sorry. What time? What time of day? That's the that's the that's the kicker. That's the kicker. Yeah, I probably got up around four thirty, and we were out in the van by four forty-five, and the aim was, I think, to have it done by six. I believe that was the sort of accepted practice. They paid the kids to help out, and they had varying degrees of enthusiasm in the task. And then there are all sorts of adventures, you know, the car breaking down. People jumping out of moving vehicles. People jumping out of moving vehicles. Um, Cars getting stuck in the snow. Car getting stuck in the snow. Um, The drivetrain dropped on the street one morning. The van had to walk back, get the other car. So the main thing was to get the paper done, no matter what. It was a love-hate situation. I mean, you kind of hated it, but you also, you yeah, you kind of no, secretly, secretly were proud of it a little right. bit. Yeah. I mean, sure, I liked making money, but that's a rough way to make some money for 30 a.m. When you're a teenager. See, again. The paper route was so much a part of the Hadley kids' experience that they planned something special for Jerry's last morning. Last morning, you said you said you give up the job. I had to give up the job. Thank you. I didn't have to give the job because I uh, had a new job that required that I commute quite a long distance. So I had to give this job up. So the last morning we're driving up the street and it's kind of semi-darkness, as you might imagine, at 6 a.m. There's a, a scene in the road ahead of me. I can't quite make it out, but there's people milling around, kind of dancing in the street. And so there's a residential area. In a residential area. And I, as I get closer, I can see it looks like my children. And all of a sudden, this sign is unfurled across the street. Uh, it says something like, congratulations or something like that and I drive through the side it bursts you know and then everybody piles in the van they're hugging and kissing and I, I don't know for relief or what but um, so we all go we all re- journey is over long journey is over right our last Washington Post and we all we all retire to IHOP and we all get seated and everybody's kind of buzzing with excitement and one of the boys pounds the table wham and says, okay, Dad, right here, right now, who was the best bagger? <laughs> and that, it was that sort of kind of... Well, you have to tell us. <laughs> I, wa- I waffled that we day. I will continue to we waffle. We established she was not the best bagger. We definitely established she was at the bottom of the toilet hall. Claire. Uh, she was a good bagger when she woke up. <laughs> a very competitive family in most aspects, including who's the best at bagging newspapers. <laughs> As the Hadley kids are all basically grown up, I can attest to the fact that they still have really good relationships with each other. Cecilia is often too busy to hang out because of a family event. In some, big Catholic families are a gift, not given to everyone, but certainly for everyone. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.